Welcome to Coaching with Carrie, a podcast about teacher education in general and learning to teach in particular. I'm your host, Carrie Alexander, a doctoral student in the University of Texas College of Ed, and I'm glad you're here. It's interesting, I'm recording this episode about shared responsibility on the day after Election Day 2020, when clearly our nation is working on its own notions of shared responsibility. I'm in that in-between place, emotionally, as many of you also might be, a place between hope and grief for our collective future. This discomfort, this uncomfortable feeling, is a physical awareness of our nation's legacy with dichotomies, definitions of well-being, of health, for example, of love and of life, for instance, of who's counted as human and what those humans are allowed, and by whom, and for what purposes. I mention this today because of its particular potency, and of course, for the nature of our work with humans. I'm sure that's what she wants. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, that's really it, is I think part of it is that we don't have conversations between departments very much. Um, And if we do, it's very procedural or, um, and and maybe I'm just not aware of it, but I think that if we're all in this together and sort of sharing responsibility for our students, then we need to be on board with with what other folks are doing, right? Oh, exactly. I've been curious how our various departments across the College of Ed are interpreting the current social climate through their teaching and scholarship. We're not silos, but our departments tend to work this way. One of our teacher education cross-cutting themes that seems pertinent is this one. It says, quote, I value shared responsibility. I will hold myself responsible for all of my teaching and will share in this responsibility with others to build a community that contributes to the growth and well-being of students. What's most perplexing to many of us is that we are both teachers and students. We are both and. Again, there's that uncomfortable place. Sometimes I hold close as I enter into this work the importance of our own racial, cultural, linguistic consciousness. So I have been um, with UT in this capacity since 2000. I actually did my doctoral work at UT, um, 1996 to 2000. And so when I was working uh, on my doctorate, I was a facilitator. I was also an AI. And so I had that experience. And the reason why I had come back to get my uh, credential was because I had talked on the, um, I taught on the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians um, reservation in Mississippi, Mississippi by Neshoba County North. And um, I experienced, I I learned about a lot of injustices I really was not aware of. Um, I had done my undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry then I, I did a master's degree at OU. In honor of cross-pollinating across departments, I reached out to Dr. Ide Rodriguez of Bilingual and Bicultural to learn a bit about her practice and journey as a teacher educator. <laughs> but um, in English literature. So I, I, I really was not aware of the situation, the, the experiences of learners here in the U.S. I grew up in Puerto Rico. My first degree is from Puerto Rico. 
And so even I'm a person of color, I didn't have the same experience. And my first experience uh, with the educational system and a lot of the injustices um, that I learned about and I realized were so um, overwhelming and so oppressing um, happened on the Mississippi um, Band of Choctaw Indians experience on the reservation uh, when I was teaching them. It was uh, it was surreal, and that experience um, caused me to really want to get a credential where I could be influential. I wanted to work with teachers. I saw so many teachers that were they were good friends, but they didn't get it. I could see them, they meant well, but they didn't get it. And many times things they said or things they did were so offensive and demeaning and just so saddening, even as they tried to relate to parents. So that, that kind of, um, well, what we call mismatch, you know, that, that kind of uh, interruption in, you know, what I intend, but what I come across as um, caused me to come here. And so um, when I came here, I had all those experiences that also <clears throat> further my understanding um, of what it is to be um, a learner of a second, of, of, of you know, speaking a language that is not English, uh, coming from a different cultural background, maybe even a socioeconomic um, level that is different, how different the experience was. And, um, so anyway, when I um, started teaching formally, because my mentor, George Blanco, retired, and um, Dr. Larry Abrams, who was the chair of the department at that time, um, asked me if I wanted to, um, to stay. Um, and I was delighted. You know, I wasn't worried. We're delighted she stayed too. Mismatch and interruption, how our experiences further our understanding of learning. This seems to be a theme with Dr. Rodriguez. She also said, one of my tenets is to facilitate and promote that we share our stories. In the end, it should be all about honoring the student and all that entails, culture, language, especially the lived experiences and the memories we carry. I really enjoyed listening to how she was putting together her classes and pedagogies, and I have a lot to learn from her. Of course, I developed the ESL course, and I taught it, and I mentored the AIs for many, many years. Um, let me see what else. I used to teach ALD 325, which is second language acquisition. So I have taught so many courses, but the ones that I specialized in that are my joy and pride because I rewrote them um, are the Spanish oral expression and the Spanish written expression. And those names are horrid. I want to change them. I want to make them more about language and communities and uh, maybe even bring in the cultural aspect of it because language is not in a vacuum and it actually, you know, really grows and comes to life in community as we interact with each other. And so um, I, I, I am determined to change those courses. Um, but these two courses, actually, I have developed them to be very experiential. I want the, our pre-service teachers to experience what um, we're reading about. They are completely taught in Spanish. I um, 
have worked really hard to find readings that are all in Spanish as well, just so that they have that complete experience. A lot of our students are heritage speakers of Spanish and they have oral proficiency. Um, they have written um, competencies, you know, I hate that word, but anyway, to a degree, um, but they really need to continue to develop their language mm -hmm. because, of course, in this country, we do a disservice to heritage speakers because we don't value their language and um, it's not really taught in school anymore. And so um, as they go through the school system, they become more and more unaware of uh, the rich heritage that is there in terms of literature and in terms of the arts. And so I try to bring that in. And so what we do, for example, in the Spanish oral expression course, um, I do a lot with art. I have a collaborative with the Blanton Museum of Art and it's fantastic because they learn about different strategies that they can use for object teaching, object-based teaching, which is, mm. I think, a very concrete way to um, find ways to relate and make connections, not only with the students, but the students with each other, the students with their community. And so we do um, strategies like um, group poetry and circle around and tableau vivant, you know, dramatizations. And so we do that. Um, I also do a lot of field trips. I'm field trip queen. I was when I was teaching in school. And I still do it with my undergraduate students. We go to Mexicarte, which is a, a museum here in town that actually promotes the work of Mexican-American artists. I also take them to uh, La Peña, which is a gallery downtown that uh, promotes artists. They're nonprofits. They, um, have exhibitions and sell the work of artists as well. Um, they do a lot of, um, they, they're very active in the community and um, they promote activism and resistance. <laughs> I, <laughs> Those are I, all my favorite things, art yeah. and activism and resistance. Yes, it's exciting to see the work that they bring to um, showcase and they have, um, a partnership with Sanchez Elementary, which is our partner school. This is where we have, it's a, we, our program is field-based. Of course, this year with COVID, it has been very strange and we have been very limited in the experiences we have been able to have. But, you know, uh, the principal the, the, uh, at Sanchez Elementary is very committed to this endeavor and she has given us a classroom. At one point, we've had two classrooms because we grew and she had the capacity to do that. But it's not just about teaching the courses, there is actually interacting in all ways. So we're involved with the PTA, we're involved with the library. We go to classrooms, teachers come to us. We actually had, for the um, before this year, uh, we had a collaborative in which the teachers would come and meet with some of our students for class. Four times a oh, semester so they cool. met for class. Mm -hmm. And then whatever topic um, was being discussed that day, there will be conversations and exchange. And then our students would go into their classrooms and observe and try to um, co-teach with a teacher, paying attention to the particular aspect, whatever that was. For example, at one point, I know that it was about writer's workshop within the language arts methods course. 
And so um, all of these experiences, I value a lot and I embed them in my courses. So we go on field trips um, on a neighborhood walk. I do a very extensive oh, neighborhood walk in which we depart from the school and for this purposes, I'm using Zavala Elementary because I was looking at uh, a vertical team so that then um, they could think about, okay, so there's Martin Elementary, you know, Martin Middle School, and then they're gonna go to um, Eastside Memorial. And so let's see what the neighborhood looks like. Let's see what the different learner age groups are experiencing. And we walk through residences and a lot of the, um, community institutions that you would think are there. And then we have conversations about what did they notice? Because I make it a very relaxed walk. We're just out there having fun and taking it in. But then when we come to the, and first, by the way, I talked to them about ethnographic study and what that means, you know, and that you're an ethnographer when you're a teacher because you're always doing research and you're always right there in context as a participant, you know, uh, in that medium. And then when we come back to the classroom, then I, I, I prompt them with all these sorts of questions like, well, why do you think that that house was so, um, so um, small? And why do you think they were in rectangles instead of, you know, so then the conversations come where they were built by their owners and they were parcels. So this is the shape that, you know, the, the land had. Um, and et cetera, et cetera. So we go on and on. Anyway, these experiences, I think that provide them with a sense of community, a better understanding, because, you know, we, lead, we, we read Louis Maud. We read Louis Maud. And we read all the writings, you know, and you can read about Langston Billings, and you can read about even um, the Django, you know, Paris, and you, 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 um, you can tell them right intellectually, but it's another thing to really experience it. And when we're walking and we go, um, we I always take them to visit the little house of Don Chuy. He's a baker and we sit in his living room. Oh my goodness. And we talk to him and we see his little baker in the back of his house. Mm -hmm. And he tells them because he's lived there for many decades and he tells them about what it was to live there, what it is to live there now, how uh, gentrification is changing his capacity to, to be profitable, to still have his little neighborhood niche that he had um, before and uh, his business thriving. Um, so all of these um, experiences, I think, make them more responsive um, to who the learner is and what they bring. And in the written expression course, I do the same thing. So the oral expression we have To me, Dr. Rodriguez's journey opens a space for consideration between being a community as a noun and being in community as a verb, and how inside this fissure and discomfort of both and, one has the ability to act just as boldly or meekly as one might act on one side or the other. I think, like she says, we have an opportunity to showcase how language is power, it is culture, and it's our greatest asset and tool. And story is how we, how we make it happen. And it helps us to bridge our learning across the college. Situation, and I've also heard that it's 
not going well. It's not going well. <laughs> I haven't I haven't heard anybody say like this has been a really great <laughs> yay <laughs> transition to virtual. Like they mm-hmm. they like it's so hard to meet their needs and to like address their IEP goals and having them progress and especially students in the transition phase where you're normally you would be doing all of your teaching in a community environment and mm-hmm. job placements and stuff like that and with all that gone it it feels less productive I think is how a lot of them are feeling in a virtual world absolutely yeah tell, I also like reached out to Lauren Wright a doctoral student in the yeah, special education I, department um, to see how so it was going the over there that I'm working with um, works with transition aged students and so they spend all of their time out in the community. Um, they have job placements where they're um, working oh, wow. and having job coaching and practicing those skills. Um, they're practicing independent living skills. So they're like practicing going grocery shopping, you know, like all of those skills that you need as an adult to function Absolutely. in society. And, mm-hmm. and so they're working on all those skills. So now when they're trying to do they've switched to virtual, like, right. How do you do that? Like, that's so much less effective to like talk about going to the grocery store rather than actually going and practicing and getting that experience. And so I think that that has been um, a huge disadvantage for students with disabilities to not be getting that, especially since they have often have difficulty generalizing skills so just because you could they could master the skill in the classroom or over a virtual format right doesn't that they can do that in the community which is where it really matters in Mm -hmm. the natural context Mm -hmm. so um i think that that's been a huge hindrance and a cause for a lot of um complaints from both like parents and families and teachers that feel like they're not wow that's probably some of the things that your interns are running up against right and how to navigate that with parents so on the one hand they've got this sort of limited um, hands-on field experience but on the other hand they're really learning the language and how to communicate across a screen um, what's most important for this child um, this transitioning adult in order to continue clearly this is not a checkbox situation and I think that learning to shift our relational consciousness comes from the inside out, which takes time. Um, but it's also imperative and important and demands strategic action right now in order to prioritize relationships and center the voices of our students. It does. And when you're saying my students, you're talking about the pre-service teachers and yeah. special ed. Right. What do you really want them to take away and how can the rest of the College of Ed support them in doing that work? That's a great question. Um, I, I, I'm not personally involved with like their classes and instruction and, you know, all of that stuff that they're um, particularly getting. So this is a little bit more of like, I guess, my personal opinion. Yeah, I want your personal (laughs) opinion. I think that they're, um, that I try to instill in my, the interns that I'm supervising and things like that. Um, But I would say that there is just like such a, um, huge importance of 
building rapport with individual students um, and getting, because I think one of the, like, the big things for students with disabilities is just that they're so individual and unique. And so figuring out like what makes them tick um, and then being able to use these effective teaching strategies um, interventions and accommodations that are going to best help those students to succeed. Um, and I think that often within like the divide between general education and special education, um, there's often like this feeling of maybe a little bit of fear, I would say when um, a student with disabilities comes into a, a general education classroom. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that like effective teaching practices are effective teaching practices, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, but, but being able to adapt those effective teaching practices to this individual student, you know, like there might just be a few tweaks. There might just be a little things that you're going to do a little differently or accommodate. Um, but, but you still have the tools um, and the skills and the knowledge to be able to help that student to be successful. That it's not like quite as scary and intim intimidating as it might seem. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like something that like special education teachers just get um, more experience with and more comfortable with. Um, and that's why they become the experts in that kind of situation um but i think that that's like one of the big focuses is is that using effective teaching practices for an individual student mm -hmm. and and getting to know how they tick yeah what brought you to special education i want to close with lauren wright's words because i think it represents our shared responsibility is that we can't be afraid connect and to step out and it's not as scary and intimidating as it might seem that's our our job so within the both and when we step into that uncertainty and in-betweenness we may end up leaving it undefined but that will not take the realness of those experiences away we may even end up naming it or finding theory to address it either way um I, I feel positive and I feel excited about our future work together. So thanks for joining um, as we investigate cross-cutting themes and what it might mean to be in community as a verb. <laughs>